happening, guys? Coast to Coast Studios, your host for Behind the Grams, where we jump some of the stories, the motivations, and inspirations behind what we do as creators, artists, entrepreneurs, business owners, or anyone in general chasing a dream. Today, we have special guest Mo Nobolsi. He's 34 years old, father of three. He runs in a digital marketing agency, and we'll just let you carry it on. Let's dig Behind the Grams. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing spectacular. The weather's good out here today. It's nice. Oh, it's snowing where I'm at right now. Where are you at? Uh, Portland, Oregon. Por oh, yeah, Portland, Oregon. Snowing up there, huh? Yes, sir. Oh, geez. Staying warm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to. We've got a uh, wood-burning fireplace at the house, and during the wintertime, we like to utilize it as best as we can. Yeah, absolutely. So stock up on wood, and, you know, it's just nice. It adds a nice little uh, jeu de sequa, so to speak. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah, man. Heck yeah. Well, let's jump right into the podcast. Let's jump behind the grams. For the listeners that are listening who doesn't know who you are, tell us a little bit about you and what you're about. Sure. So, uh, let's see, my name is Mona Bolsi. I'm, uh, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon, but I lived uh, most of my youth, about 10 or 12 years in Beirut, Lebanon. Um, lived there for, yeah, about 11 years or so. Moved back. Uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad was an entrepreneur. My uncles were entrepreneurs, are entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, I kind of grew up seeing what it's like to grind, you know, kind of work for your dream, work for, for yourself versus, you know, working, working for the man. I Absolutely. never wanted somebody to be in control of, of, of uh, my well-being, control of my finances, control over my time, which is the most important. So, you know, I will say though, you know, I, I did spend a lot of time working for, you know, my uncle's businesses. I worked for other people. I learned a lot. I learned, um, I learned at an early age to basically start work for a smaller organization because with a smaller organization, you can see the inner workings, right? You can see the pattern mm -hmm. behind their brand, you can see everything, you know, the, the CFO, what he does, the marketing guy, what he does, the CEO, what they do on a regular basis. And, you know, if, they're, if their company is driven behind, uh, 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 you know, um, goals and means that, that, that are, I guess, morally sound and there's, there's a big mission statement behind it, it's not just money. You know, that's a that's a good environment to be in. You're able to really learn and understand, uh, you know, how how everything works, the mechanics and all of that. And so, you know, with me, I, I was the uh, I became the marketing director for um, multiple Keller Williams franchises uh, in, in the oh, Northwest. Nice. And uh, I built quite the uh, reputation with um, a lot of, you know, CEOs, brokerage owners, um, team owners. So, like, for instance... Um, you know, a realtor that, that basically builds a team of 15 or 10 or 20 plus agents um, underneath the umbrella of like a Keller Williams or, or a, uh, any realty company for that matter, mm -hmm. um, or, or independent brokerages, right? And so over the years, I think uh, over the course of like three years, I built quite the network of people. And um, I used to consult in digital marketing back and forth okay. here and there. I was part of a few startups back in my past. But when I got into the digital marketing uh, space in the real estate industry, 
and getting that position, you know, it was comfortable and I was comfortable. I was making a really good salary and I was making really good bonuses. And, you know, my family and I were like, yeah, this is awesome. And, um, but in the meantime of all that, I actually, uh, um, I actually got laid off. Um, oh, wow. the, the company that I was working for, um, could no longer afford my salary because they were paying me quite a bit, but I also was doing a lot. I was wearing a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in charge of their copywriting, their funnel creation, their, you know, their, their ad building, um, yeah. buying media, uh, video marketing, like anything you could think of I was mm-hmm. doing with very little help. And, and then, so in the midst of all that, I was like, well, I can either go find another job or I can actually do this. Cause I'm pretty sure I could just figure this stuff out. So within three weeks I, um, of making phone calls and reaching out to my network, I signed a $4,000 a month client and, uh, oh, and so on and so forth. Within 90 days, I was making 30 grand a month. Um, so, you know, I was like, wow, I have something here. And, you know, now it's been almost five years since I've been doing that, uh, you know, 500 plus clients, mm-hmm. um, now, and we service pretty much everybody. Uh, we're also starting a new brand intent brand agency, specifically working on social media, marketing, branding, um, building, building that, that brand equity for our clients, you know, whether they be, whether they're influencers, entrepreneurs, business owners, teachers, I don't care who you are. We're, that's what we're focusing on right now. And currently I'm also building out a mastermind course um, that teaches people uh, essentially how to structure life, building around the habits, the disciplines, and um, the, the mindset that is needed to essentially go from where you are now to where you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about that on my podcast, which you were on recently. And yeah. um and, you know, so it's a, it's a big passion of mine. I, I just want to keep building things. I'm a hunter. I want to go hunt for deals. And I also want to, I also <laughs> yeah. want to build, I also want to build things. I, I, I find that very fascinating. It keeps me going. If I stop, which I have, I stopped. I remember when I stopped for about seven, eight months and mm-hmm. I was complacent, I literally was just like a miserable human being. I couldn't figure yeah, out. Start going out of your mind. Don't know what yeah. to do with your time. Yeah. Couldn't figure out what I was doing. I was at home all the time. I was like, Oh dear Lord. So, you know, I had to get back on that from a personal standpoint. Um, I, I do strongman and powerlifting. Um, I'm a musician as well. I've been playing the piano since I was five years old. Uh, I also, I also had my own production company for a while that kind of went to shit. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I've got, like you said, I got three girls, I got a 19 year old and I got twins that are four and a beautiful wife. So, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Heck yeah. Anybody out there that is listening that has daughters that is that, uh, that that currently have daughters or will be having daughters, my advice to you, gentlemen, bulk up. When they bulk turn 13, 14, 15 years old, let me tell you, buddy, boyfriends and all of that start showing up at your door. <laughs> want to make sure you're a little intimidating. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, awesome. You seem to have a lot of passions, a lot of drive and a lot of motivations with also inspiring a lot of other people. Let's jump back a little bit. You mentioned, how old were you when you went to Lebanon? So I was born here, and I think within a year, we moved back. Oh, okay. And then you grew up in Lebanon? Yep. Till age what? Till about 10, 11. And then you moved back here to California? I I mean, mean, yeah, Portland. Actually, yeah. So initially, I moved back to Scappoose. I lived in Scappoose, Oregon, which is right outside of St. Helens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I drove through there a bunch. 
for a few years. Scott yeah. Boos, there is nothing out there, but no, especially back then, there was <laughs> nothing back then. There was there was a pharmacy. Uh, I think it was called High C or High something pharmacy. There was a Dairy Queen, and then there was a store. That was pretty yeah. much. Wow, wow. So let's talk about Lebanon, Lebanon a little bit. You came here when you were ten, so you obviously remember a lot about there. How was the culture shift coming back here to the United States? Um, culturally, it was significant. You know, back in Beirut, Beirut kind of—it's a really tiny. Lebanon's a really tiny country. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like the span of maybe Salem, um, and Salem, Oregon, and yeah. uh, and so when you're there, people kind of live as though it's their last day on Earth, and the reason is because from a religious battle that has been going on between um, Palestine, Syria, and then Israel, and Lebanon's kind of right in the middle, so they get all of the rehash, and they're not really. Uh, politically or religiously into anything. Technically, Lebanese people are Phoenician. They're not even Arab. Um, They're they're more about like dancing and living life and performance and and, and entrepreneurship. And, and, you know, they might be a little bit too flashy, but they're all about like the color of life and, 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 and sparkling that throughout your day and through your own existence. So they're just like fun, happy people. It's all about food and Hey, welcome. Come in. You know, we bring in strangers into our homes and come sit down and have a meal, smoke some hookah, hear some wine, like totally chill vibe. But because of the battle that has been going on for years, it was always everybody was always also on edge because they didn't know when there was going to be a strike of some kind. Like when my when my mom was pregnant with me, there was a war happening, like literally bombs going off. Mm -hmm. And so. That's why that's why she even had me in, in, in the United States. She's like, I'm not going to have my son here. Like, this is ridiculous. And how, so, did, how did she have you in the United States? What do you mean, how did she? Is, is your father from the United States? No, they had citizenship. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had, they had a visa. Okay. Not citizenship. They had a green card. Um, so what, what they did was come here, and it's, it's amazing, but they had you, and that gave them full citizenship now right and he gave me said well it didn't and give it gave them you dual citizenship right but it, it gave me dual citizenship but it didn't give them citizenship until i was 25 full oh really that's yeah yeah so that was kind of a bummer but you know it, it finally worked out and that's fine but uh yeah so you know over there everything's crazy over here you know you feel like you know when when people say that in the united especially people from other countries when they come here even though it's not perfect, there's a lot of things that are screwed up with our government. I'm not going to get into that because I'm not very politically like in any direction. But yeah. um, when, when they say like you really like you can be anything you want to be in the US of A, that shit is real. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it is real. And it is. That's why everybody wants to come here because it's the greatest nation in the world. Mm-hmm. And and. And, and create a life for themselves that they could only imagine in their wildest dreams, right? And yeah. from where they're from. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for me, like my dad, he owned a furniture store in Lebanon and he started buying and selling cars in, in, in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and th- which led essentially to his dealership. My dad died when, he was y- when I was young. I was around wow. seven when he passed away. He was electrocuted. Oh, um, wow. And power wet goes in and out in, in Beirut. And so you never have a consistency. And uh, 
when he was trying to fix the water heater, something short fuse and it literally just killed him instantly. He like flew back 10 feet. It was crazy. Wow. Uh, saw him die before my eyes and that kind of changed me a little bit. Absolutely. But, um, but so, so after that happened, um, you know, we stayed there for a few more years and in the midst of all that, as my dad was building that business before he passed, my uncle, one went to university to become a civil engineer. He kind of stopped doing that and took over the, the, the car dealership and him and his brother, my other uncle basically built it up. And, uh, you know, they, they did wholesaling for many years. They made a lot of money and then they switched it to retail. And I jumped in and I did that for a few years and then they retired. Wow. Um, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So they kind of kept your dad's legacy living up. They did. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, uh, and, and it's funny because out of, I'm the oldest out of all the kids. So mm -hmm. like when my dad passed, we moved here, I lived with, my dad's uncle, I mean, my dad's brother, who is my uncle. And then my uncle married my mom's sister, no relation. So mm -hmm. basically my, my aunt and my uncle were both my dad's brother and my oh, mom. Because there was no more wedlock. Right. 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 Well, they're, well, they're not related. So they're not. Through marriage they were. What's that? Through marriage they were, but I guess it's so far down. Yeah. Yeah, I guess through marriage. I mean, it was my so. But after so, your father passed, they technically weren't. But yeah. Well, yeah, it's like it's like if you had, let's say, your sister married. Um, let's see. Well, no, that would make sense. So yeah, so my, <laughs> my dad, my dad's brother, married mm -hmm. married my mom's sister. So his wife, sister married. That's just getting really confusing. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Long story short, so we, I, we were all raised under one roof. So, so mm -hmm. my, uncle, my aunt had three children, um, two boys and a girl. I have two sisters, my mom and my dad. So three and three. So there were six. There was nine of us total in the house. So we grew up at an early age. And so they're technically my cousins, but they're really my siblings. I grew up with them. I helped raise some of them. So they're my siblings. And so I'm mm -hmm. I'm out of out of all of them and actually even most of my cousins, I am the oldest out of all of them. And mm -hmm. it's funny because growing up, I screwed up a lot. Like throughout, I didn't explain, nor did I talk about it, but I grew up because of my dad passing, because of moving here, my mom was very overprotective. I grew up very sheltered and I had about two or three years where I did a lot of shit, just a lot of dumb things. Like anything mm -hmm. you think of, I just got it out of my system. And I was almost projected to be kind of the, 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 the family screw up, so to speak. Like nobody had any kind of like aspiration for me. Like I wasn't going to amount to anything. And, you know, my cousin was supposed to be a physician and a doctor, and this was supposed to be this, and this is supposed to be this, you know? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah. So I grew up very in a very well, you know, sheltered life. And so I, um, but I worked my butt off. I was telling you when I was 15, I was, I was working off the books at my uncle's gas station. I was working like night shift from like 10 p.m. or 9.45 p.m. to like 6 a.m. And then I would mm -hmm. um, and then um, and I did that Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But so on Fridays, I would basically have a really long day because I'd go right to school the next day. And I didn't like school. School wasn't my thing. It doesn't teach entrepreneurs. It doesn't teach entrepreneurship. It's all school is, especially K through 12, it's memorization. So I don't believe in the system. It's archaic. It's outdated. That's exactly. I, I have a lot of the same views and we'll jump back to that topic. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, so, you know, and now like all my siblings are struggling. They're, they're either working for somebody or they're having a tough time or they're lazy and there's like no drive and this and that. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I, I just don't understand how they are just sitting around and doing nothing where I was like literally trying to figure out every possible way to make money. But mm-hmm. then it goes back to how you're wired, right? But, you know, um, and so it's just, it's funny how things come around full circle because now I'm the one, my uncles, my aunts, my mother come to me for, hey, I need, I need help so-and-so. I need you to talk to so-and-so. They need to, you know, can you please help him do this and do that? Can you get him to be motivated? Can you get him to do this? It's just funny. Yeah. I was, I, I, I was expected to not have any. You were expected to be the black sheep and, and now you're the one that everybody turns to. That's pretty much crazy. Crazy. Things work out, man. So that's so it is, it is phenomenal how things and life has its way of working things out. Losing your father at 10 years old. I lost my father at 14, but how did looking at the time it was such a terrible thing but there's a lot of things that i look back and it's changed me to be the person i am today how do you feel what are some positive things that came out of that and how did it shape you into the person you are today positive like what did you learn from it like you know for me i learned that life was short i learned to take risks a lot you know i don't feel if if my father didn't pass away and I didn't see how light, how short life could really be, I wouldn't have taken the risks that I would have taken, you know? And I feel that may have been the same for you, you know? I think subconsciously, yeah. I don't think I was consciously, consciously aware of wanting to take risks. I think in the back of my mind, subconsciously, that's how I'm programmed. Because I do. I take risks all the time. I take crazy risks. Um, constantly. And I'm always testing something and figuring something out. I also realized that, um, that life is short and you want to take care of yourself and try to extend it as best as possible. Because mm-hmm. like my dad, like I, I want to make sure that I'm going to be here for my kids. You know, I want to grow up to a ripe old age and I can watch them get married. I can watch them, you know, graduate from high school, college, whatever the case may be. I think mm-hmm. that's very important. Um, you know, my dad didn't get to witness that. And, and I technically grew up with a, without a father. However, his three brothers stepped in and they did the best that they could to give me that, that male figure, that male model. But at the same time, they were constantly working. So I wanted to be around them. So mm-hmm. another thing that attributed to my, my um, I guess, my, my personality and, and how I am and the way I am was I spent a lot of time when I was young around my uncles and their business partners and their associates. And, and I wouldn't spend much time with kids. Like I didn't yeah. really hang out with kids. I was, if they had lunch or whatever, I would go with them. Like I would ask, Hey, can I come with you? Mm-hmm. And they were talking about business and they're talking about deals. And I surrounded myself around that. And, and, you know, I, I learned how to communicate. I learned how to be persuasive. I learned sales. I learned, you know, building deals and packaging deals and understanding the, the politics behind, you know, whining and dining and, and really getting to um, understand, uh, you know, the, the client or business partner's problem so that you can help figure out a solution. Like I learned a lot just by osmosis, right? So by, mm-hmm. by, by watching and, and listening and learning. Um, so that, that, that was a, that was a big, uh, I, I would say an attributor to my success was, was being able to do that. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I think I think that old saying of the five people you most surround yourself with is the average medium of your income, you know, and that and also pertains to your knowledge, you know, if you hang out with losers, you're going to be a loser. But in your case, you were young, 
growing up with your uncles taking the place of your father and they taught you and you surrounded yourself with, like you said, entrepreneurs and these business meetings. And I'm sure you've seen deals go down and I'm sure you even seen the stressful times that they went through and you, you learned how to cope with that and, and work through those times. Right. That's awesome. So going into, I, I, I know you mentioned that you were kind of the black sheep. You started doing really good and then you lost your job. And then you said a month later you were making, or, or a few months later you started making upwards to $30,000 a month. Yep. In so sale. Be, yeah. In sale. Being um, in such a low point of your life, that's a big jump from going to, from making, I'm assuming unemployment for a little bit to making upwards to $30,000 in sales. I'm sure you made good profits off that. How was the, how was the jump? How did you deal with that? How did you cope with the change? Did you, I'm, I'm sure you didn't just go out and buy a nice new place, buy a new car, which a lot of people would do. No, no, I didn't, but I made a lot of mistakes my first year. I, mm -hmm. my first year, I only had, I had about, I think three or four contractors that were virtual. And then I had one assistant and I made just under half a million dollars my first year. Yeah. Um, it wasn't even technically first year. It was about nine months of work. Um, and I made quite a bit of mistakes. I didn't. I didn't manage my money well enough. I didn't spend mm -hmm. a lot more than I usually did, but I would, so like I invested in Bitcoin. I invested in Ethereum. I put away like 50 grand in a stock. Um, I, I helped pay off a lot of debt for me, for my, you know, so my, some of my family members mm -hmm. I was taking care of people. And instead of putting away, cause I, I literally like, I, what I should have done, and um, this is a good tidbit for all of you, yeah. live, live below your means. Absolutely. And, and if you have a family, then you just need to do like just the necessities. So food, shelter, clothing, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe once a month you go and take the kids out like to a movie or dinner or whatever. And once a month you take your, because your wife can't just sit there all day and not do anything. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do that. So maybe once a month you take your you take your uh, your family, and then once a month you take your your wife or significant other out, whatever the case may be. But yeah. other than that, like I should have saved, I could have saved like seventy percent of my income monthly. Wow! And if I had done that, I wouldn't. I I, I would have accelerated my progress significantly mm -hmm. um, the following year because I would have been able to invest back into the company. I would have been able to bring on more people a lot faster, and that would have brought me on a lot more accounts far more quickly um, than than would I then then if I didn't had done that you know what I'm saying so um, that was a big that was a big um, lesson um, it would have been a mistake if I did not learn from it mm -hmm. but um, that that's something that is just huge especially because like I've made money before but you know I I never made 50 grand a month before like ever yeah. in my life like that was crazy to me like mm -hmm. it blew my oh, mind absolutely. like I couldn't believe I would look at my deposits and I couldn't believe that this money was coming into my account it was it was overwhelming and I I think a lot of it, I didn't really know how to handle it. I was like, oh, I can help you with this now. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Oh, yeah, sure. You need you need five grand? Okay, here you go. Yeah. Like, that was my mentality mm -hmm. versus, nope, I need, to, I need to live within my means or below my, my means self. and save as much as I possibly can. Exactly. And I think that's a huge part of, I mean, I would say 90% of Americans live of... So jumping back into it, I think you're totally right on that. I think 
I would say even 90% of Americans live above their paycheck. You know, if you make a hundred grand a year, you need 120. And that's a problem with, with, with people learning that in your first year, making those mistakes. Do you feel that that's kind of something that you had to go through to learn that process? Or do you feel you could have learned it from other people's mistakes? I think I could have learned it from other people's mistakes. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have any mentorship during that time. Um, the other thing that I spent money on a lot were events. So I, I increased my skill set, right? I went to a lot of events. I met with a lot of great people, the best and the best, so that I can become one of the best of the best. And, you know, that was, a, that was an investment, big investment. I think I spent probably close to 80 grand that year mm -hmm. just on events and courses and coaching and all that kind of stuff regarding my, my skill set, which was anything digital marketing. Yeah. Um, so that gave me a return definitely. Um, but you know, I would have probably picked a few and, and just, you know, done some of the next year and then done some of the next year, just pick mm -hmm. the biggest one that I think you're going to give me the biggest return. I would have been a lot more strategic yeah. um, about it versus just kind of going balls to the walls. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely think I could have learned it from someone, someone that's been through that. It doesn't necessarily have to be my business, my business model. Um, so, you know, that being said, I, I think the, one of the greatest, one of the greatest things about our generation is that there's a lot of information out there, but one of the most negative things is that there's a lot of information out there. The, the, the difficult part is being able to decipher, pick and choose which, um, which really, you know, what, what influencer, mastermind, coach, whatever you want to call them, guru, you, you need to listen to, right? What are the, yeah. how, how do you kind of filter through all of the noise? Yeah, you know, there's so many uh, of them out there. There are a lot of them out there. Um, but, you know, like, if, just to drop a few names, like, if you were to go watch, like, an Ed Milet, a Tom Bailu, mm -hmm. uh, Patrick David, um, you know, a Gary V. Like, if you watch and listen to some of the things that they're, like, if I had done that as much as I should have, I'm sure mm -hmm. I would have picked a nugget. I'm sure I would have found something like, hey, you know, you're making money. What do you do now when you're starting to make money? Because mm -hmm. you're taught and you're searching every year by year. If you're on the path of trying to create success on, on some form or another, monetary success is one of the most primary things. The, the, the number one thing is, okay, so here's how you can make 100 grand. This is how you can make 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month, 30 grand a month. And mm -hmm. you, you never search for the next step. Well, what do I do after I make that? It's like, well, yeah. that, that's not important. I just need to make that money. That's my primary goal. That is going to be my asset. But you never focus on, all right, well, what do I do once I have it? Because you mm -hmm. don't know. I had no clue what to do. I didn't yeah, know. I can imagine. You know, and, and, and that's, that's one of the biggest lessons that I've, that I've taken from it. And uh, I would have done things a lot more strategic uh, had, I, had I had the chance to go back and rewind. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's crazy. I, I couldn't imagine going through that. And for the viewers that are listening, if any of them are coming into big money or their businesses just made a big change or when you, after that first year was done, what were some of the money management skills that you learned and implied differently? Right. Well, are you there, buddy? Lost you there yeah, for a second. Yeah, yeah, no, I can hear you. What was your last question? So for the viewers that are listening, some of them may be coming into a business change where they come into a lot of money like that. 
and you going through that year, learning those lessons, what are some lessons that you would imply for others to use? And what are some lessons that you learned about money management? Uh, first and foremost, as you start making money, find a really good CPA. Okay. Uh, find a CPA that is specific to your business. I actually found a CPA that strictly works for digital marketing agencies. Like that is their bread and butter. They know mm -hmm. how to get you the best write-offs, what you need to do, how much money you need to put away. And, and don't be afraid to spend the money. You know, do your due diligence, obviously. Like don't just find one person and go after them. That's it. Um, do your due diligence, you know, filter through a few CPAs mm -hmm. and then interview them and then uh, use your best judgment and then hire the person that you feel is going to be the best fit. And I can tell you right now that that CPA has saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of the last five years. Like it's insane. Uh, wow. And put money back, put money back in my pocket and being able to write things off and be able to, and there's a lot of like tactics and little things that you can do to like, for instance, like leasing, leasing a vehicle that you could write off as your business asset. Like that's, that's big. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you can, if you can allocate, I mean, if you can uh, recoup like 45% of, of what you pay for the course of 24 or 36 months, that's huge. Yeah, know? absolutely. That's, that's really big. So that would be number one is, is, is find a good CPA relative to your market niche industry, what have you number. Uh, so that's going to help you kind of really with the money management. Mm -hmm. um, number two is download like like a QuickBooks app or something like that where you can scan all of your receipts so you don't house your receipts, whether they be digital receipts or paper receipts. Get every, you want to document everything. You want to make yeah. sure that everything is in, is, is in a folder somewhere that you can, that you can give to your CPA. They can, you know, if this dinner is you can write off, this you can write off, this you can't write off, all of that stuff. That's really, really hugely important. And then the third thing is either with your CPA or with um, a third party company. So it just depends on your industry. Um, and is to work on developing that that I You're breaking up a little bit there. What was that? Uh, the third thing would be to figure out a way to hire a third party company or speak to your CPA if they're if they're in that industry or if they can direct you on building your business credit. Building your business credit is huge. If you need a line of credit because you're trying to scale, for instance, or you need equipment financing because you're off, you just bought a new office and you need 10 computers, you need five printers, whatever the case may be, you know, um, that's going to help. It's going to help with, with, with all of that, you know, and, and that's what leads me to the next thing, which is payroll. Um, mm -hmm. If you're bringing on employees, you know, you need a system, you need a software, you need a management company that can do all of your payroll. And, and you can allocate that to it. You don't want to take on things that you don't know how to do or are good at. Hire professionals to do it. Just like, a prof just like uh, when somebody hires you as their professional to, to, to help allocate whatever problem that they're having, right? Yeah. So, so with, me, we, with me, it's allocating uh, my, my resources, my money to – to, to an expert that manages my money, an expert that will manage my payroll, an expert that will help me build up my credit. Mm -hmm. right? Somebody will hire me to, to do their marketing, to make sure that I can give them a rate of return on their investment, that I can you know, generate X amount of leads, that they can close this amount of deals. So that's, those are my biggest things. That's what, I would, uh, that's what I would say. That's phenomenal. I think delegating tasks is definitely important. And I'm sure there's a lot of trial and errors that you have to go through 
to figure out, like you said, siphon through a couple CPAs that to find your best match, you know? Absolutely. That's amazing. So coming into today, you said you, you, you manage your, your company. You've built that really big. You also are into music and you do strongman. Yeah. Strongman competitions. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. How, how did you get into that? Um, I got into lifting. I got into lifting when I was around 19 years old, started bodybuilding. I was a uh, mixed martial arts for me. Yeah. And uh, so I was MMA when I was around 13 years old. I uh, was a big fan of Bruce Lee. And then I got into weightlifting when I was around 19. I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, my body started to change and I got addicted to it. And then a few years into it, I got into more less about uh physique got more into like strength like i wanted to have a heavy deadlift bench mm -hmm. overhead press squat what have you um and then i got into powerlifting. that was really really fun um focusing on the big three which is the the bench press the squat and the deadlift mm -hmm. and then i would say about three years ago i um started reading upon i i started watching a lot of the world's strongest man and started following guys like brian shaw half Thor Borson, um, and just seeing like their training and what they do. And I fell in love with it. So I started doing, I started buying specialty bars and equipment. So I started doing like farmer's walks, yoke bar walk, um, sandbag throw and stone, uh, Atlas stones to, to be able to lift up and push up and, and carry. And really strongman is just being able to carry really weird objects that are heavy as hell and walk with them as fast as you can. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it builds, it builds muscular endurance. It builds mm -hmm. strength and it builds like power. And, and it's just, it's, it's just really fun for me. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I have my morning routine. I write in my journal, my gratitude log. And then I get into, um, I get into, uh, either a cold shower or, um, or I just like foam roll depending on what I've got. And then I do some of my, some, some of my warmups and then I take my pre pre-workout shake and I get into training and it anchors my day and I train for about an hour and then I start doing everything else that I need to get done for the day. Mm -hmm. For the first hour of my day, I don't even look at my phone. That's um, that, that, that is a, that, that is just a big distraction. It will literally, it could literally ruin your morning because mm -hmm. you, you have, no idea what's going on and you might get that email you might get that text message maybe a client isn't complaining because you know i've got clients that are that are that are nationwide now worldwide and so if somebody reaches out to me at four o'clock five o'clock in the morning it's like eight o'clock for them yeah. right yeah so you know you don't want to do that you want to keep your phone either on airplane mode or turn it off keep mm -hmm. it off overnight and then uh and so that's what i do man and you know i was able to build uh, garage gym over the last few years. Um, I, I do not like commercial gyms. There's, there's some CrossFit gyms that are decent. I just, I like doing my own thing. I like being in my own zone. I come right downstairs. I walk into my garage. I got my heaters, everything set up. Yeah. And, uh, I just do my thing, Heck you know? Yeah. Heck yeah. That, that's probably the best. Cause then you, you're, you're not distracted, you know, you're just right. in your zone. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm disciplined enough to do it. You know, a lot of people, maybe they need that encouragement. Maybe they need to feel that vibe of like people working out and, 
and, and getting in the zone. I've never really needed that. I've always been driven to, to do what I want. And so, yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Bringing it back just a little bit. I know you were going into your morning routine. I'd love to chat about your journal and gratitude log. Tell me a little bit about that. And, and especially the gratitude log, like I'd love to start that myself. Yeah. So, um, I've been writing in my, in, I've been journaling, writing down my thoughts, goals, aspirations for probably, I don't know, 10 years, 11 years. Um, but about maybe three years ago now, three and a half years ago, uh, I found a company called the five minute journal. Yep. Um, and you can download the app for like five bucks or you can buy the journal, which I think is like, I don't know, 18 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you right now it, um, writing it or typing it on your phone or your computer does not have the same effect on your brain as if you were to manually write things down with a pen. Exactly. Uh, and so I do the journal and basically what it is, um, and, and you don't need the journal to do this. Like you can literally just, just mimic this. So right upon waking up, there's typically a nice quote like today's, where's my, where this? So today's quote was to the world you may be just one person but to one person you just may be one you but to one person you may be the world so it's always like a nice little hey this is positive and so essentially you start your day off like this it'll tell you uh three things that you're grateful for right that moment that you like you wake up what are three things that you're grateful for in this feeling in this moment right now mm-hmm. and then you want to write down Three things that will make today great. What will make today great? What are three things that will just, man, this will just be fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then then you're going to write down your affirmations. And your affirmations can be anything, right? You can say, uh, I'm abundant in in my life, financially, spiritually, through through my relationships. I am successful. I am kind. I am humble, grateful. Uh, I am love, whatever it is, passion, whatever it is that you want to have to be your affirmations are individualized and particular to you. And then at night, right before bed, you write down three amazing things that happened to you today. And then one or two sentences on how you could have made today better. Here's the psychology behind gratitude logs. What it does is it's reprogramming your mind to look at the positive things in life, to so when you're grateful, you typically have less things to complain about, right? And, yeah. it, and, and, and the things that you, that you write down aren't like spectacular. They don't have to be. They don't have to be like, I made a million dollars today. It's like, no, it's, you know what? I'm grateful that I was able to spend the night with my children by myself, watching a movie, being, being in the moment with them. I'm wow. grateful that I had five minutes to myself so that I could sit down and play on the piano and just release some of my tension. I'm grateful whatever it is. Um, it, it's it's the, the, the continuous um, repetition of doing this and being and, and making sure that you don't sound repetitive. You're not saying the same things every day. You really want to dive deep into your thought and your feeling and your emotion. It, it's going to, it, first of all, it's going to trigger more positivity. It's going gonna, it's gonna to direct your path on, it's subconsciously going to reprogram your mind mm-hmm. to look for the positive things. That's why I, when people always think negative, 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 they attract negative. They're attracting that shit into their life. I'm never going to find the love of my life. I'm not going to be able to pay rent this month. I, I, I can never afford the car of my dreams. I can never buy a house like that. Oh, he's, she'll never like me. He'll never think of me the way that I think of him. All you're doing is bringing that shit into fruition. Exactly. The law of attraction. 
It is. It's the law of attraction. And then here's the other thing. So after I do my journal, I have uh, the night before, I, I plan tomorrow today. So I write the things I need to get done today the night before. And then after I do my journal, I look through my other journal and I go through the things that I need to get done today in, in order of importance. It can be a minimum of five, you know, it's usually for me around five to 10 things. And that just gets me going. Okay, these are the things I need to get done. Boom, 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 boom. Then I go take a cold shower. I either foam roll I, or I do some dynamic warm up and I get ready for, I take my pre-workout that kicks in about five, seven minutes. And then I get into, uh, get into training. Wow. That's phenomenal. Thank you for sharing that with me and the viewers. I got like 10 sticky notes in front of me <laughs> writing all this shit down, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to start applying those things to, to my life. And I think that's a big problem with a lot of these kid entrepreneurs today. They watch these motivational speakers. They listen to them, but they don't apply. No, 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 nobody yeah. takes action. Nobody mm -hmm. takes action. Yeah. Like, well, exactly. I don't want to say nobody, but majority do not take action. I've given my younger brother, who's 20, going to be 26, every resource, every tool, every strategy that, that I never had as mm -hmm. advantages, I've given it to him and he doesn't do anything with them. But yet wow. he wants this and he wants that and he wants this and he wants that. You can want and want and want and want all your life. It is the action takers that actually exactly. do something with their life. That's why you don't necessarily, in entrepreneurship, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just have to be the, the, the hardest worker in the room and the smartest and the smartest in the sense that you understand that you're not the most intelligent, so you're going to hire people that are smarter than you to build this thing. And you'll find what your strength is, and you'll capitalize on that strength. 100%. Last topic I'd love to jump in with you we touched on it just a little bit ago was, was school and my views on school, especially high school and all that is, is very different than a lot of people's. I feel like teachers today is like a doctor prescribing their patients, all the same medicine. Kids learn in different ways. I learn, I don't learn from a book, you know, okay. and I was, t you know, I wasn't, I don't learn from a book. I learn hands-on and I feel there's, there's different categories. Like, like for instance, you know, you, you hear these kids bringing shoes to school and selling them or bringing candy bars to school and selling them. And then they get in trouble and they're told they can't do that instead of, you know, they should be put in, into an entrepreneurial class. And, and you, you should look at these kids' strong suits and, you know, people learn visually, audio, kinesthetically. People learn differently and, and, and school's not shaped to teach kids in today's age, society. I agree 100%. It was built in the 1800s as a means to churn out workers. Everybody's going to be a cog in the machine. And in the 1950s, where it was really uh, pivotal, where you go to school, you go to college, and, and obviously it was mostly men, right? Women were stayed at home. There were moms and wives and housekeepers mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So you basically, you went to school, you got a good job, and you got a good job after you graduated. Like there was literally like a great job waiting for you. Yeah. This is Jamie will always help you, right? Um, but like when, you know, like climbing the corporate ladder, it was actually, it was real back then. You were able to do that. You could climb the corporate ladder and actually dominate. Now, like when people tell me, well, working for yourself is a risk. You never know when, you know, you could do this or you lose that or whatever. I'm like, a job is a risk. You yeah, exactly. Life's a risk. Right now is the, one of the largest risks. You never know when you're going to get canned. 
And you are not in control of that. Your boss is in control of that. Your boss's mm -hmm. business is in control of it, whether they're going to be successful or whether they're going to fail. And, and whether they're going to, you know, minimize and, and, and fire a whole bunch of people, lay off a whole bunch of people. I mean, look, look, look at what happened to me. So I could, I could either take a risk and, and lose everything on my own fruition, or I can put that in somebody else's hands. Exactly. And exactly. Exactly. I think Jim Carrey says it best, you know, he's, he watched his father. He says, you can fail at doing something you hate, so you might as well take a risk at doing something you love. Isn't that the truth, man? Isn't exactly. that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Well, Mo, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on this podcast with me. I'm, I'm very, very uh, thankful for your time and, and you reaching out. Thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I, was, I was happy to do it. Uh, lo loved uh, being able to get to know you for the last few weeks, month or whatever. It's, it's been awesome. I look forward to uh, seeing what great things you're going to achieve in your life. Heck yeah, I agree, Mo. Thank you so much. We'll chat with you soon. Sounds great, brother. All right. Have a good day, buddy.